Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Yankees News and Views. I'm your host, Jack Curry. Once again, this is the podcast that endeavors to cover everything that is happening with the Yankees and everything that might be happening with the Yankees. And you can find it on the Yes Network app. There are some powerful phrases in the world of sports. World Series, Super Bowl, Final Four, Stanley Cup. Now, all of those talk about a title, about winning a championship. There is also another phrase in sports that really resonates with me. Pitchers and catchers. When you say pitchers and catchers, sports fans know exactly what you're talking about. That means that the pitchers and catchers are descending upon their spring training sites and that baseball is back. It's a wonderful time of the year because when baseball returns, it's a rebirth. It's an optimistic time. It's a time of hope. And the Yankees are one of those teams that is an optimistic team in 2024. You look at what happened then in 2023. Brian Cashman called the season a disaster. Manager Aaron Boone called it unacceptable. We're going to have Aaron Boone on this episode of Yankees News and Views to talk about what needs to change for the Yankees in 2024 to allow them to make a run to the World Series. Boone is about to begin his seventh season with the Yankees. He has a winning percentage of 59%. But as I said, last year was lackluster, and it's a season that the Yankees want to be able to turn around. Boone will play a pivotal role in helping the Yankees get to that point. He's the man who answers more questions before and after games than anyone in the Yankee universe. So we hit him with some more questions in this episode. Yankee season is here, and the Yes app is giving you more. Download the Yes app and get more ways to watch and stream live games on every device. More ways to interact with your friends and family with Yes watch parties. And more ways to win with Yes pick and play predictor games for a chance to win cash prizes up to $25,000. Go to watchyesnetwork.com to download the Yes app and get more. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us on Yankees News and Views. You are sitting in a chair at your home, but I would like you to take us what it's like to sit in the chair at Yankee Stadium. There are millions of Yankee fans, which means there are millions of Yankee fans who want to manage, who think they can manage, who question some of your decisions. Take it in that context. How daunting is that job to know that the Yankee universe and the Yankee world is watching every move and every decision you make? Yeah, I don't know if I necessarily look at it, you know, in that way of daunting. Um, I, I feel very prepared for it. Um, I feel very comfortable and confident in it. Um, that said, I, there's a reverence that I have for it and, um, and a respect that, an understanding of just, um, you know, what, what we have the opportunity to do. And, um, you know, I, and I understand the importance of the chair and of the seat. So I don't take it lightly. Um, but I, I, I don't ever feel, I guess, you know, look, there's moments of, of stress and difficult times and great times to the job, but I don't necessarily, ever feel overwhelmed by it um, um but also understanding the reverence that i have for the seat 
I know I've asked you lineup questions before, and you say that your your mind is always <laughs> percolating about how you might assemble a lineup. I'm sure maybe in that office somewhere there might be some index cards or some paper that has lineups written out. What's that process like? Do you, do you take notes? Do you have an iPad? Is it all up here when you're thinking about how you might want to assemble a lineup for 24? Um, well, when I'm at this point, when I'm thinking about it, it's kind of all up here and just, you know, different things I think about. Sometimes I'll write it out. Um, you know, then you realize you are very much getting ahead of yourself. Um, you know, you know, obviously you, you envision judge and Soto hitting back to back with one another, you know, likely in that kind of two, three hole. So then it's just like, you know, okay, what's, uh, you know, who, who grabs hold of the leadoff position and that, you know, kind of maybe affects the two and the three hole and how I, how I shake them up because of how I want to balance out the lineup. So I tend to get a little obsessed with, with balance in my, in my lineups. Um, so, and, and this year we're going to probably have potentially as much balance as we've ever had right and left. And uh, so, so, you know, dreaming on those different iterations and dreaming on what, you know, I believe has a chance to be a really special offense. Um, but I do get excited about it. About a month ago, we had to do a projected lineup on our Yes Hot Stove show. I had Soto 2, Judge 3. So I'm going to make sure that we we pull up that graphic over and over again. If that is the way that you do go, I, I understand a guy with a career 400 on-base percentage batting ahead of a guy who holds the AL record for home runs. What else do you like about that if it does end up being Soto then Judge? Um, I think that's that's a big one right there. I mean, you're talking about two monsters in the sport that, you know, have a chance to hit and hit in the first inning, kind of protect one of one another to 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 a degree. Um, but what I'm equally excited about, you know, if if you work off of the premise of those two guys together is what I believe now our supporting cast has a chance to be around those guys. The leadoff position's got to solve itself. You know, I, I, I was really excited about what DJ did at the back half of the season. You know, I kind of feel like getting through, um, you know, some of the injury stuff that he's kind of dealt with for the better part of a year, year and a half. Um, I felt like made some solid, subtle adjustments that got him back to getting on base at a really high clip, which has always been a calling card for him, which is why he's been so good hitting in that one spot ahead of judge when he's been healthy. Um, so, and I'm really excited about the winner that he's had. Um, so he is a logical person to go into that uh, one spot. But, you know, then, but there's a lot of iterations that you could think of in that one hole. The bottom line is I want the one hole ahead of those guys to, to, to be a position that we're hanging our hat on a lot of on base. And if that's DJ doing the bulk of that, great. Um, but you could also see it being a, a little bit of a rotation of DJ Verdugo. You could see Glaber in that spot, depending on, you know, right, left, who's hot, who's, who's rolling. Uh, but if we can settle in on, on, you know, some consistency and some regularity, I would love that too. Aaron, the Yankees are known as the Bronx Bombers. I don't have to tell you that, but last year they were not the Bronx Bombers. They had one of the worst offenses in the major leagues. 
How does the addition of someone like Soto, and I know, as you just mentioned, it's not just all about Soto, but injecting him into that lineup, just what does this generational player bring? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about two top – we're count on one hand. You can argue who, who you want to be the best hitter in the game, and it's, you know, Soto and Judge are, are – leading those conversations certainly right in the middle of those conversations so to have those guys back to back you know one left-handed one right-handed is enormous um and i think is is a game changer with what i think is going to be around them with the likes of glaber and Giancarlo and rizzo and and dj and 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 hopefully we see like the volpes of the world take steps forward and and hopefully Austin Wells figures into the mix and getting Trevi back in the mix. Like now all of a sudden you add bring, you know, get lost in this. And I know you mentioned them is, is Verdugo, you know, potentially hitting somewhere in the middle as just a great back to ball who I think, um, you know, for as good a hitter as he's been in the big leagues. Um, I think, feel like in a lot of ways he's scratching the surface still. Like I, I think there's more in there for Alex Verdugo and, when you have potentially a group of the depth of our, our potential lineup, that's what excites me is, you know, because I do feel like you're going to get built in um, production from, from those big two and, and Juan and Aaron, but the supporting cast um, has a chance to do real damage. And I, I just feel like we're look inevitably you're going to get hit with a, with an injury or a, or somebody's going to go down or, and, and again, hopefully we do a better job from a health standpoint than last year, but I do feel like position player wise and offensively, we're in a better position to, to withstand, you know, a guy out of the lineup for an extended period. I'm glad you spoke about Verdugo. I was going to ask you about the new additions. What about Stroman and, and what he brings and what do you like about his potential in New York? Um, I love the consistency of his career. He's been a, he's been a performer. He's been a really reliable, um, starter in this league now for a long time and totally confident in his health and his, um, you know, where he is. I think he's what, 30, 31, 32 years old. Um, he's one of those guys that, you know, commits a lot to his craft and his body and taking care of himself. So I do think he'll be a guy that, you know, remains in top form for a number of years. And then on top of it, like, I really think he wants to be here with us, with the Yankees. And that counts for something. And that matters to me. And I think he's cut out for this. I think this was the end game that he wanted. And, uh, you know, I think hopefully he, he goes out there and, and goes to the post, you know, 30 times, 30 plus times for us. And, and if he does that with what I believe our offense is going to be, uh, he should be very successful. You have players, Aaron, who the Yankees desperately need to have bounce back seasons. I wanted to ask you about a couple of them, starting with Giancarlo Stanton. The offseason theme or discussion has been that he's going to play lighter in 2024 why do you think that will potentially help Stanton return to his previous form he, he's played lighter before so it, it won't be you know I don't think you'll see 
him lose any of his prolific power and strength and, you know, what, what makes him very special as a player. Um, but I do think, you know, once you, you know, you're at John Carlos age where he's still not old, but you're North of 30 and you've had lower body issues. Um, you've had, you know, soft tissue things that have come up and, and injuries that have, you know, su- certainly cost you good portions of some seasons. Um, I think it just gets harder to play, you know, and like even, even last year's size, he was, you know, he's like 7% body fat. So it's, he's in tremendous shape all the time. So it's not like we're, we're talking about a guy that's out of shape. Um, he's always in shape, but I think he realizes, you know, with some of the lower extremity things that he's had happened to him over the last few years, playing lighter is, is critical. And, and, and I don't think it, he'll, he'll um, have to sacrifice much of his strength and power, his calling card, if you will. And, I just know, I know the person, I know the competitor, and I know how invested he is in this winter and making sure that last year doesn't happen. So I know he's poured every possible thing into being ready to go here in the next few weeks, and I'm excited to see um, what comes out of that. Rodon last year admitted, Aaron, that there were times where he felt perhaps he was too predictable. How pivotal is it for him to perhaps introduce and – use a third pitch more often? Um, I think you'll see it. Um, I think it's one of the things. I don't think it's the most important thing, frankly. I think the most important thing is he's he's so far this winter handled that. The offseason he's had, and I got to see his bullpen at Yankee Stadium a couple days ago, where he looks like a different person than he did this time last year is just as far as how the ball is coming out and everything. Um, so the biggest thing, and, and, and I've, you know, reiterated this to him is I want you to do everything you can to make sure you're going to the post every five and six days. That's what I want your focus to be on. That starts in the winter with your training and your throwing program and your workout regimen and getting yourself ready and prepared. Boom. He's checked that box in a great way. I think he looks outstanding. He's ready to roll. He's where he should be in his buildup and his throwing program. Now I just want him to continue to focus on that, you know, even as we get into spring training and, and he's making his first start and there's going to be a lot of noise around the result of that first start in spring training. It's like, man, he's in too good a position right now and he's too talented that if he takes care of all the things in the process of leading up to each and every start, um, he's going to be successful over time. I'm confident in that. I'm confident where he's at right now. I'm excited to see him go kind of do his thing. And, and look, I think last year not going well um, and trying to play catch up all year, um, you know, in a lot of ways can be a wake up call to people like, mm-hmm. I don't want that to happen. And he's to this point showing that he won't, wants to put that behind us and go out and be the pitcher that, you know, dominated the two previous seasons before we got him. I think wake up call is a phrase that could apply to all the Yankees in 23. You're starting your seventh season. If we put the COVID season off to the side and four of the other five seasons, you guys averaged 98 and a half wins last year, 82 and 80. 
If you had a friend who slept through 23, I know, hypothetically, just roll with me here. And he said, what happened? What didn't you guys do? What would be your answer about what the Yankees failed to do well in 23? Um, we, offensively, it was a challenge, you know, so, um, so we just didn't have that offense over the 162 that usually carries you to a lot of wins, you know? So we were in kind of those, you know, block, but or barn burner games, every game where it was tight all the time. I thought, I think our bullpen um, did a really nice job of, of closing out and winning games that we should. But the bottom line is we're just in so many low scoring games on a nightly basis that it made it difficult now you take Garrett Cole, obviously the unanimous Cy Young Award winner. Beyond that, for varying reasons, injuries, guys playing catch up. When we did get some guys back, they struggled. Um, we just didn't have the consistency within the starting rotation. Um, and then, you know, it was an injury plagued year for us. And last year, we just couldn't find the, the proper depth of that next group up to like, man, really pick up the slack. Like we have in certain years, you know, like last year in a lot of ways reminded me of 19 where we won over a hundred games where we were very beat up, but we had that kind of next wave of player constantly stepping up that year that allowed us to sustain things this year. We weren't able to do that. Uh, I think when you look at it as a whole, though, it was, it was, you know, just being down a little bit offensively, and behind Garrett and, you know, I'll even throw Clark Schmidt in that group who after the month of April was a really consistent starter for us, just had a hard time finding consistency within the rotation. Aaron, your family's baseball lineage is well-documented and we know that your dad not only played, but he managed. What's the recurring piece of advice that he gives to you about being a manager? Um, I don't know if he gives me – look, I talk to him on most nights, you know, usually on my drive home after a game. Um, and, you know, he's more just very supportive, and he watches every minute of every game. So he'll weigh in sometimes on, um, you know, if a guy is uh, – you know, because he, he takes interest and in if a guy – maybe struggling at the plate or struggling on the mound. So, you know, he likes to get in the weeds on, Hey, what they're doing or get his thoughts on, you know, how he could get back on track. So it's more of those kind of conversations, but then more of just being really supportive and a fan and, you know, certainly obviously understanding, um, you know, the chair I sit in and, and what that's like. He's supportive of you. You've shown in your time in New York, very supportive of your players, very optimistic about their abilities going forward. Where does that mentality come from? Because there are some managers who might cr criticize players more publicly or, or might have a harsher tone. We don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but publicly you are very supportive of your players and are constantly lifting them up. How did you develop that mentality? I don't know. I, I it's just who I am. Um, um, I think it's, I think to me, one of the most important things 
for a manager or head coach or whatever is, is authenticity, authenticity. I think you've got to be who you are and, and, and there needs to be a consistency in who you are each and every day, you know, especially emotionally. So, um, that's what it is. I'm, I'm certainly an optimistic person. Um, you know, but I also feel like I'm realistic, like even talking through last season, you know, as we were going through struggles in the middle of the season, there was always that optimism of, Hey, at some point we're going to get Rodon back and Nestor back and Seve's going to come back. And like, those aren't, you know, those weren't being unrealistic. It didn't happen how we wanted to, but those were realistic things. So I, I think with, within my optimism, I talk about realistic stuff and, Usually when I'm critical, um, it's more uh, big picture critical or us as a team and, and try and talk in, in terms of us and then deal with individual things that I need to address face to face with people. Aaron, we all know that analytics are taking information and that information could lead you to predict what a potential outcome might be. I think if it was called information, it wouldn't be as controversial as it sometimes gets. But how do you take what you see with your eyes or what a coach or a scout sees with his eyes and then blend it with what the numbers and the analytics might tell you? How? Um, I'm not sure. It's just part of the ebb and flow of it. It's what you do. It's what I do every day. You know, you have an idea and a picture of what the day is going to look like and you prepare for the game. But then you go out in the game and, and it's you play, you know, it's it's a living, breathing organism every single day, every single day, every night. And every game is a little bit different, you know, especially in the regular season. You know, you can always look on paper and say this in a vacuum is the best thing in this spot. Um, but you also understand you're you're playing every single day. So, um you know, there's decisions you've got to make that are, um, you know, you're trying to build culture, you're trying to build, um, develop people and develop players. Um, so you've got to weigh all that. And because, you know, sometimes doing this right thing in the moment, maybe on paper, maybe hurts you tomorrow or maybe hurts you down the road with a certain uh, player, or the development, or the peak of a certain player. So those are all things that you weigh, uh, and certainly I do every day. Patrick Mahomes is going to another Super Bowl. What do you remember about facing his dad when his dad was a major league pitcher? Nothing. Did I face him? You did face him. Four four plate appearances. You what? went 0, you went zero for three with a walk. Man, I don't remember. I mean, I, I, of course, remember him, but I kind of thought he preceded me and I, I just kind of missed them all along the way. Man. Uh, in 99 and in 2002, those were the years that you had at-bats against him. Okay, so 99, he was with the Mets, right? Yeah. And 02, was he with the Mets or was he in Colorado maybe? 02, he was with, and I have to go to our trusty uh, baseball reference website to answer this on the fly in 2002 Mahomes was with Chicago Cubs Cubs, okay um wow I I'm 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 a little embarrassed right now I like to think I remember 
most of my at bats or you know what I remember I try to remember the successful ones as as an optimist and as you said I was over three of the walk so I I put those put those away. So when you watch Patrick Mahomes play football, he did play a couple of years of college baseball. Not a lot of Texas Tech, but he did play a tremendous athlete, <laughs> one of the best athletes in the world. But do you see any of his his baseball background when when you watch him play quarterback? Oh, all the time. I mean, you see some of the arm angles he takes, the way he moves. And then, you know, they anytime you watch a game of his, most of the time they talk about his baseball background and him looking like a shortstop turning a double play in, in certain situations. And, uh, you know, I think his bas- basketball background comes into play in all that too, being a, being a handler of the ball, or you, you've even, even seen him make a pass left-handed. And that's, you know, that's things you do as a point guard, you know, where you're whipping around and you got to dish, dish a ball to somebody. Um, so I think, you know, his, his all around, athletic background and certainly baseball um, I think does play a a pretty good part in in who he is as a quarterback now. As you look at the Chiefs 49ers matchup, what stands out to you? And do you have a favorite? Are you leaning in one way or the other? Yeah. You know, what stands out to me is how, how great the, uh, the Chiefs defense is this year. Um, Obviously, you know, when you think of Chiefs, you think of Mahomes and Andy Reid and Jason Kelsey and Taylor Swift. <laughs> um, but I think lost in the Chiefs this year is it's it's a frontline championship defense. And that's how they've won. You know, really, it was a little bit of a struggle for them in the regular season. They've certainly found their stride here and, and beaten two great teams on the road in the Bills and, and the Ravens but they've done it with a really, really great defense. And Spagnola, I feel like, has done a great job with that defense. Um, and then when you have the best player in the world at the most important position, that's a pretty deadly combination when we get to January. So I think they're going to be tough to beat. Um, but obviously the 49ers are as talented as anyone and certainly will be a formidable opponent. But as you can hear from me talking, I guess I'm leading Chiefs. All right, we're in the home stretch here now, so I want to have a little fun with you musically. We know you play 162 games in 180-something days. Let's imagine there's an off day in a specific city, pick whatever city it might be, and you're going to have a free day. What band would you be hoping has a concert, has a gig in that city that night? Wow. All right. I would hope I, I would I would actually hope I could turn back the clock on them a little bit mm-hmm. but if I could if I could go to see Motley Crue one more time in wow. their prime, um, you're now, a metal guy huh or metal is part of the music that I you love really, I'm actually more of a yacht rock like you know <laughs> chill but I do love my like Motley Crue and um um one of the greatest concerts I ever saw. And, and again, I'd like to turn back the clock on some of these is Stevie Nicks. I saw her play on a, at an outdoor amphitheater, which was amazing. I've never seen Elton John and I love him. And I think that would be amazing. Um, I am a Taylor Swift fan and I did not get to see her in concert this year. And we we're actually 
going to the airport and after our Sunday afternoon game, I forget where we were flying and we were driving by the Meadowlands on our way to the, to Newark airport to take off. And her concert was starting where my wife and daughter were and all I could, and we had an off day the next day. All I was thinking is why am I not at that concert? So uh, I would have loved to that this year. That's an eclectic mix right there from Motley Crue to Taylor Swift. I, I need to see your, your playlist because you're, you're, you're touching all the areas right there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, spring training starting. My, my final question, it's 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 inching closer and closer. I, I'm not asking you to give away your speech and what you might say to your players, but what what will you say to them about what 24 could be for the Yankees and whether or not you believe this team can go all the way? Because I'm sure as the man sitting in that chair, you, you have to believe that and you have to give them reasons to believe it as well. Well, I think you are asking me to give away my speech. I guess I am. <laughs> um, which, um, you know what? what? I'll tell you this. I, I wait. I actually, I don't know what I'm necessarily going to say. I have some things that I want to hit on. And actually, one of the things that happens to me, it's interesting. I'll wake up a lot in the middle of the night now thinking about, talking to the guys and I usually don't write much down when I go in to talk because I just like to talk. I, I, I have some things I know I want to hit on and topics, but then I just go. Um, but this is that time of year where I'm, I'm thinking of those things. And, you know, <clears throat> you know, one of the things that I want to make sure we focus on always is making sure that, <clears throat> that our clubhouse and our room is, is an area of strength and, um, you know, there's a lot you got to deal with um, throughout the course of a long year, good and bad, uh, whether you're in the midst of a great season or a challenging one, and <clears throat> making sure that we're together and strong um, in that room uh, is important to me. It's something that we try and lean into all the time to make sure we, we don't take for granted. Um, <clears throat> you know, you probably heard me say this a lot last year, like in keeping it real simple, like I want us to walk in each and every day with an edge to us, ready to prepare. And now we're going to go out and compete our ass off when, when game time comes. So those are three things that I like guys to keep a simple, when you really whittle it down and keep it real simple, those are the three things that I want these guys to live out every single day. Walk in with an edge, prepare, and compete and when we're doing that at a high level uh i think we'll, we'll like the results aaron perfect way to end the interview thanks for joining us on yankees news and views and we look forward to seeing you in tampa all right jack good talking to you as always see you buddy yankee season is here and the yes app is giving you more Download the Yes app and get more ways to watch and stream live games on every device. More ways to interact with your friends and family with Yes watch parties. And more ways to win with Yes pick and play predictor games for a chance to win cash prizes up to $25,000. Go to watchyesnetwork.com to download the Yes app and get more. 
Aaron Boone has always been an interesting and engaging manager. And once again, I want to thank him for sharing all of those thoughts with us. There were so many things that he said in that interview that stood out to me. First of all, the fact that he is leaning towards Soto hitting second and Judge hitting third. I always felt that was the way the Yankees would go because I think you want Soto, that on-base machine, ahead of Judge. Soto sees a lot of pitches. Obviously, though, it's the players around those two that Boone was talking about as well. I envisioned DJ LeMahieu leading off, but you also heard Boone talking about Verdugo and Volpe and Glaber Torres and saying don't sleep on some of these other players, Verdugo being one of them. He had interesting thoughts about Marcus Stroman and how Stroman wants to be in New York. But also, maybe most interesting was the way he described Carlos Rodon and how he sees a different person already in the bullpen sessions that Rodon has had. And the Yankees desperately need Rodon to be the pitcher that they thought they were getting when they signed him to a $162 million contract. So I think Boone is trying to do everything he can to make him comfortable. And then showing that all of us always need our parents and always need to lean on them for some advice and some help. I thought it was great that Boone talked about how after games, he's riding home. Who does he have a conversation with? His dad, Bob Boone, the former player, the former manager. And he described his dad as endlessly supportive. And of course, we all know that's the kind of manager that Boone has been with the Yankees. We'll see what Boone can do to help guide the Yankees to a better place in 2024. When you talk about a player being in the best place, that would be the Hall of Fame. And that would be where Mariano Rivera is, the first and only player to ever be elected unanimously. So my story of the day today for the podcast involves Mariano Rivera. It's going to start in spring training. 1993, I happened to be watching a game from foul territory on the first base side. And there was a skinny kid who I knew was a player, but I didn't know who he was. At that point, Mariano had only pitched as high as single A. And he was telling a fan, I have an elbow injury, but I will be back. I will be here. You will see me. And I always thought about that moment when I subsequently found out who Mariano was and then covered his career about how confident he was in that moment. But that's not really the story I want to tell. In 2009, my wife, Pamela, happened to be on the same flight going to the West Coast as Mariano. I believe Mariano didn't travel with the team, so he was flying out for some games in Anaheim by himself. I said to Pamela, don't say anything to him. Don't bother him. There'll probably be a lot of people bothering him. It ends up, she did end up introducing herself. Mariano obviously knew who I was, and he made a little joke because he said, so I'm going to see your husband in California more quickly than you're going to see him because she had uh, a business to attend to and I wasn't going to see her for a couple of days. And so he said, I'll say hello to him. And then Mariano throughout that season would always ask how she was doing. It was very kind. She happened to have a, a medical episode that year. And one day he asked me how she was doing. And normally I would just say, she's fine. But in that moment, because what was going on with her was so present in my mind, I actually told him what was going on. And he said, please tell her I'm asking about her and I will pray for her. And then as the season wore on, he, he did check in and ask about her a couple of times. The Yankees win the World Series in 2009. The clubhouse was so flooded with reporters 
that they moved Mariano to a separate room to do an interview. I was still working for the New York Times at that point, and I was one of the closest to Mariano. So I asked the first question about winning the World Series, asking him, what did it feel like to be on the mound again to win another World Series? Before Mariano answered the question, he looked at me and said, Jack, how's your wife doing? I am still to this day stunned by that exchange because in his moment of glory and his moment of the greatest athletic achievement that a baseball player can have with his team, here was Mariano remembering what we had talked about during the season and asking me how Pamela was doing. So I knew everyone was on deadline. I knew everyone didn't know and probably didn't care about what Mariano had just asked me. So I said, she's doing fine, Mariano. Thanks for asking. What about you? And then he went on to answer that question. So if you want to know who Mariano Rivera is, he was a Hall of Famer on the mound. He was a Hall of Famer off the mound too. My song of the day. Spring training is about to start. You got to be excited. You got to be ready to celebrate your achievements at spring training. So we're going with Living It Up by Damian Marley. His father also has a biopic coming out uh, called One Love. So we're, we're tying it all together here. But go listen to the song Living It Up by Damian Marley. I guarantee you that your feet will start moving and you'll get very excited. That's going to do it for this episode of Yankees News and Views. Once again, you can find this podcast on the Yes Network app. We appreciate you hanging out with us. And please stay tuned for more episodes. Thank you.